If you're a cook, or really if you cook at all, by now you've used an online recipe. Online recipes are great, whether you're reading a food blog or using a bigger database like Epicurious or New York Times Cooking or whatever, but perhaps the best thing about finding recipes online is the ratings and comments section, right? A recipe can look great, but if everyone who tries it gives it like a one or a two star review, you can basically just save your time and effort and go find a better recipe. And the reviews section can be a real treasure trove of helpful pointers and suggestions, whether you are trying to find a substitution for something you don't eat or are just out of one of the ingredients. But you have to read the reviews critically, especially the negative ones. I always think it's funny when you come across one of those recipe reviews where the author makes absolutely no attempt to follow the recipe and then gets super disgruntled about the results. Like, this recipe sucks. <laughs> I was out of tomato paste, so I substituted two tablespoons of red finger paint, and not only did the recipe taste terrible, but my whole family ended up sick. <laughs> yeah, thanks, buddy, but that's not really the recipe's fault now, is it? And we can all laugh and call this absurd, but it happens all the time, and not just with recipes either. In your business, too. And that's what I'm talking about today on the podcast. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. The inspiration for today's podcast came when I was listening to Greg McEwen's book called Essentialism. In the book, McEwen tells the story of the founding of Southwest Airlines back in the late 60s and early 70s. When Southwest was just starting out, the co-founder... Herb Kelleher decided to target budget travelers, which at that point was essentially an untapped corner of the air travel market. In order to do that, he had to make a series of very deliberate choices and trade-offs in order to be able to offer flights at a lower cost than the other airlines. In order to do that, he made a series of deliberate choices and trade-offs in order to be able to offer flights at a lower cost than the other airlines. So instead of trying to fly everywhere, Kelleher just picked out a few airports to operate from. He chose not to serve food on his flights. He didn't offer first-class service, just coach. And he didn't waste time or money with assigned seats. It was just a first-come, first-served boarding process. Now, those trade-offs weren't made by default, but very much by design. Each and every one was made as part of a deliberate strategy to keep costs down so that Southwest could profitably charge lower prices. And of course, those trade-offs alienated some potential customers, right? Especially because at that point, low-cost air travel was a brand new concept. It was already demonstrated that there was a segment of the population that was willing and able to pay for the flexibility of more destinations or demanded first-class service, and pursuing a share of that market might have been safer, right? Kelleher knew that there was a good chance that those people weren't going to choose Southwest, but he was banking on the fact that there was also a large enough market out there for whom price was the biggest factor. And sure enough, Southwest quickly earned a big name for itself and was getting all kinds of business. So, of course, 
success breeds competition, right? The other airlines started to sit up and take notice. They saw this new kid on the block cutting into their market by doing things differently, and they decided that they needed to get back on top. So what did they do? They copied Southwest. Well, they kind of copied them. The example McEwen uses is Continental Airlines. Continental created a concept called Continental Light with lower fares, no meals, and no first-class service. The problem was that they hadn't really gone all in on this concept. They were just kind of dipping their toes into the water with a handful of planes and a small ad run. Further, they didn't really do much to differentiate between regular Continental and Continental Light in the mind and view of the public. And because of that, the business was not only not profitable, but it actually created a giant onslaught of complaints from their existing customers. To take it back to the alignment metaphor that we've been talking about over the last few episodes, Continental had what was essentially a healthy workhorse model. Then they saw this successful donkey model business running around. But instead of learning about that donkey model business and adding a sister brand, They basically took a sledgehammer to their workhorse's leg, and almost instantly, they turned it into a lame horse with brand confusion. So what was happening there? What I have just described is a concept that Harvard Business School professor Michael Porter calls straddling. Basically, straddling means trying to adopt the strategy of a competitor or another business while simultaneously trying to maintain your existing strategy. Continental Airlines was attempting to be two things at once, a big commercial airline attracting business travelers and people most motivated by comfort and convenience, but then also trying to compete with Southwest for that price-focused market. And it's not that it's impossible to have a brand that follows two different models successfully, but doing so requires a deep understanding and a lot of strategic planning. And in this example, Continental didn't want to bother. They just wanted to take a cut out of what seemed on the surface to be easy money. And I love this because it's an example of a giant company with highly educated teams of professionals all chiming in on this decision and they still managed to screw it up. So why do I love that? Because hopefully it helps us give ourselves a little grace when we make similar mistakes in our very small businesses. So speaking of that, let's bring this back to photography. As photographers and solopreneurs, it is super easy to get ourselves into these kinds of straddling conundrums. When we're new and we don't yet really have a clear sense of our preferences and parameters, most of us look around to find photographers who've been successful and we try to imitate them. And that strategy isn't necessarily bad but it can be pretty misleading unless you have a deep understanding of the person's business that you're trying to imitate. Maybe they're priced and structured properly, but their audience is totally different from yours. Or maybe you share an audience, but that person's workflow is way faster than yours. So if you price yourself the same as them, it's not going to be profitable for you because you can't take on as much work. Or maybe, and this actually happens more than you think, That person's amazing Instagram feed doesn't actually tell the whole story, and that strategy that you're copying is actually a failing strategy. But I don't want you to think for a minute that straddling is limited to new photographers. Those of us who have been in business for a while 
and have actually achieved some amount of success are acutely aware of how precarious that success can be. So we're always on the lookout for ways to make our art and business better. There's this kind of evolve or die mentality, which is usually a good thing. But if we're not careful and strategic about looking for the next step in our business, the boredom factor can creep in and cause us problems. As creatives, we tend to get tired of something almost immediately after we've mastered it. And it can be very tempting to look around and see something that's working for someone else and get this kind of grass is greener impulse to shake things up. We see someone out there doing something different and we think, great, I'll just do what they're doing. But of course, if you've ever really tried to do what someone else is doing, you know it's not typically that simple, no matter how effortless the person makes it look. For instance, (laughs) I go into museums all the time and I see these gorgeous abstract paintings And even though I know better, somewhere in the back of my head, I'm like, well, that doesn't look that hard. I could totally paint that. But a final result isn't just the product of the last step or two that you can see. It's the sum of all of the component parts. Over the past year, as I've started teaching the simple sales system, my students have been split pretty well down the middle between newer photographers who are looking to start out strong with a good system and established photographers who see the system as an answer to their workflow woes. They're already profitable, but they're feeling overstretched or burned out, and the promise of remaining profitable while cutting out a large portion of their work, that's really appealing. Now, the newer photographers generally don't have deeply entrenched ideas of how things should be done, so they tend to just kind of get on board and follow the formula. But the established photographers, even those who are really excited about the system, they pretty frequently want to kind of hybridize the system with whatever model it is that they have been using up until then. And that's understandable. They don't want to break what's working. They just want to fix what's not working. So they might want to include a few digital files with the session fee or have people choose a collection ahead of the session, or switch out the print credit for specific items instead of just offering a blanket print credit. And my answer to those people is always the same. My system is not the end-all be-all. I totally get that. And it is absolutely possible that any of those things that we just talked about could work. But if you set it up that way, I can't really guarantee that the results are going to be the same. Even though any one of those changes may seem like a small difference, the effect in the end could be quite large, kind of like substituting finger paint for tomato paste. The thing is, we are artists. We're hardwired to play around with ideas, and I think that's great. It's what makes us great. But given what I've learned and tested with this system, both in my own business and now in lots of other photographers' businesses as well, My strong suggestion in the case of something like a business system or the simple sales system specifically is to either try it out as it is written first or at the very, very least, learn the deeper strategy involved in all the component parts before you make an educated guess about changing them. It's like my old English teacher, Miss Eubank, used to say in high school, you have to learn the rules before you can break the rules. So today, it's a short episode, but I want to give you this example as food for thought about the way that you have set up your business. I want you to think about what's working and what isn't working. 
And if you haven't yet listened to episodes 38, 40, and 42, or downloaded the alignment workbook that goes with them, I want you to go back and do those things and use them as a guide to figure out what the problem points in your business might be. And if you're interested in learning more about the deeper why of the simple sales system and all of its component parts, I would love to invite you to check out the webinar that I teach about it, which I will link in today's show notes, but which you can also find anytime at thiscan'tbethathard.com simple. It's free and it might give you some insight as to why small changes in your business model can make a big difference in your overall revenue and success. Have a great day. Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.